this morning we're going to go ahead and continue with this series of who we are as a church. So this morning I've entitled the message that we are people who are filled with the Spirit. If you guys didn't know, I think everybody here already knows, but we are a charismatic, Spirit-filled church, and uh, we're going to talk about that this morning. So let's go ahead and pray as we come to it. Heavenly Father, I just thank you. I thank you for your great love. I thank you for your goodness. And Father, I pray that, that we just have the, the incredible privilege and opportunity to spend time in your word, to be able to go through your word in a public place like that, to speak about you, to hear from you, Father, without fear of persecution or, 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 or being arrested or hurt, Father. And this morning, I thank you, Lord, that you would speak to us through your word, Father, that we would hear your voice clearly, and Lord, that it would just bring revelation in our hearts. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So like I said, we're going to go ahead and talk today about being a people that are filled with the Spirit. Now the reality is, is that some people get weirded out by this whole idea of being filled with the Spirit. And really, and we'll talk about it a little bit today, but really the main thing that people get weirded out about being filled with the Spirit is speaking in tongues. If you ever heard someone speak in tongues, it sounds weird. So I'm okay with getting that out of the way. It sounds weird just because it sounds weird, and it is weird doesn't mean that it's not biblical. But being filled with the Spirit is an important part of being a Christian. Matter of fact, I think if you are a Christian and you don't ever receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you don't ever get filled with the Spirit, then you're missing out on one of the greatest things about being a Christian, about having God work through you and seeing God just do amazing things and having His power manifest through you. And the reality is, is you can be saved without being filled with the Spirit. The, the, uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, is subsequent to salvation. And salvation works like this. When you get saved, the Holy Spirit comes inside of you to live. Your spirit is removed. Your old spirit's removed. You get the Spirit of God inside of you. When you get saved, the, the, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. But being filled with the Spirit can be more accurately described as the Holy Spirit coming upon you. And some people refer to it as being filled with the Holy Spirit. Some refer to it as being baptized in the Spirit. Actually, Jesus refers to it as being baptized in the Spirit, as we'll see later. And, and uh, typically, they're kind of used interchangeably, but they both mean the same thing. They're talking about the Holy Spirit coming upon you, and then you operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So when we begin talking about this stuff, I guess the stuff that we have to iron out then is what is actually being baptized in the Holy Spirit. How do we get baptized in the Holy Spirit? And how do we even know that we have been baptized in the Holy Spirit? And then once we get past kind of the initial things, we need to understand what is the purpose of being filled with the Holy Spirit? Because it's not just a parlor trick. It's not just so we can feel powerful or feel like God loves us more than somebody else. Being filled with the Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit were given to us for a purpose. And when we're filled with the Spirit, we receive and we may operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And those gifts each have a specific purpose. And you're going to find that it's not to demonstrate that one person is more holy than another. You're going to find that it's not going to demonstrate that God likes somebody more than another. All it is is God has plans for His body. And the gifts of the Holy Spirit were designed in order to be used to edify and lift up the body of Christ. Amen? So let's go ahead and get started. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4-11, through 11, it says, Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. 
There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Notice it says, to each. For one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. Now to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues, and all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. That's a pretty big list of gifts of the Spirit. But how many of you guys know that that's not even all of them? That's not an exhaustive list. In Romans 12, 6-8, it says this, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in serving, serving wasn't up there, and one who teaches in his teaching, one who exhorts in his exhortation. Do you know exhortation is a gift of the Holy Spirit? To be able to encourage somebody effectively, to be able to lift them up, that's a gift of the Holy Spirit. Where was I at? There I am. The one who contributes in generosity, you know, giving is a gift of the Holy Spirit. The one who leads with zeal and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. If you'll notice that God empowers us through his power, through his Holy Spirit to do a number of things. And it's not an exhaustive list, but the ones that most people talk about or most people refer to when we're referring to the gifts of the Holy Spirit is the one here in 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11. But one thing that we have to understand is that the purpose for these gifts, the, the reasons for these gifts is always for the common good. It's the common good of the body. The whole purpose of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is not to lift one individual person up, but instead it's to lift up and encourage the entire body. And the reality is, is that not every single person is going to operate in each and every single gift. And the gift does not make, that's one thing we have to understand, we have to get under our heads. And I think particularly if, if you've never operated in the gifts of the Holy Spirit is, is that this idea that someone who has a gift of the Holy Spirit, the, the, the Spirit is moving through them, that they're somehow more holy than us, or they're somehow more spiritual than us, or they're so, that God loves them more than, than, than someone else. Because the reality is, is God will use anybody. Matter of fact, the truth is, the more humble you are, the more ordinary, if you will, you are. It seems to be the more likely God will use you. Because if you are super talented, if you're, if you're not humble, then, then you can say, no, this wasn't God, this was me. But when you're like me and, and just an ordinary guy, I have to say it's God moving in me because I couldn't do this on my own. They are not a reflection of who you are, but rather a reflection of God inside of you. That's what the gifts of the Holy Spirit demonstrate. They're God's power working in us and through us to to make a difference to the body and to the world around us. And one of the things that I've often heard is that every person has at least one gift. Anybody ever heard that? If you've, if you've been around, everybody, everybody has, has at least one gift. And uh, I've always found that an interesting turn of phrase because it always implied to me that, that, that God has a list and says, Wayne's going to get this gift and this is the only one he gets and, and that's all there is to it. Or the idea that, uh, you know, that, that you can only operate in one gift. But it's all predetermined. 
And it's kind of the way that's always came across to me. But I find it interesting because it says these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. So God, I believe that God can give, one day you may operate in the gift of healing because you're letting God work through you, and the next day you're going to operate in the, the gift of prophecy. You don't have just one gift. I believe that every believer can operate in each and every single gift. In 1 Corinthians 12, 31, this is what it says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. Why would we be told to earnestly desire to work in other gifts if we, could only, if we only had one assigned to us at birth? The reality is, is that we're encouraged to operate in the gifts. We're encouraged to receive the Holy Spirit upon us. We're encouraged to let God work through us. And we do it by faith as we're going to see in, in a second. But the reality is, is that every person doesn't just have one gift. The Holy Spirit can move through a person in any way that he wants to, at any time that he wants to. And really, the biggest barrier to you operating and not operating in the gift of the Holy Spirit is the fact that we're stubborn and we, put, we resist. We don't want to let God move through us because we think it's weird, because we think it's odd. We, we actually effectively limit the ability for God to move through us by our own heads. We put God in a little tiny itty-bitty box and we say, you know what, God? Not today. I'm not speaking in tongues. That's just weird. And we limit God to work through us. And I always come back to tongues because that's the only one people care about. Because the truth is, is is if we bring somebody up here and we raise them from the dead, that's the Holy Spirit working through us. That's way weird, weirder than someone speaking in tongues. I mean, that just doesn't happen. According to science, it's impossible. But we lay hands on someone, they rise from the dead. Nobody goes, that's weird. I don't want that. Somebody gets miraculously cured through cancer because of, of somebody laying hands on them and they have the gift of healing. Cancer is eradicated. Nobody goes, nope, that's weird. I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't want someone to pray for me. I don't want to get healed miraculously because that's and we begin to put god in boxes because of what we're allowing him to work and move through us if these are the gifts of the holy spirit then what is the baptism of the holy spirit if this is the result if we're able to operate in these gifts what exactly is the baptism of the holy spirit in john 20 19 through 22 and we're going to go through the difference between salvation and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, because there is a difference. In John 20, verse 19 through 22, it says, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. First, let's notice where this is in the timeline. This is after Jesus has been crucified. But it's still when he's on earth. He hasn't yet ascended to heaven. So he's been crucified and he's getting with the disciples for one of the first times. And this is where salvation begins. And it says, he, when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, it's important that we notice when this happened and what Jesus said, because it's going to kind of bring into light the idea of the baptism of the Holy Spirit being a separate thing. Many people have said, no, you get the Holy Spirit when you're saved, and that's all there is to it. 
But if you look at the Scripture, it doesn't, it doesn't point to that. The Scripture actually gives evidence to something quite the contrary, that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is subsequent to salvation. At this point, the disciples had received the Holy Spirit. They were saved at this point, a new spirit inside of them. They were made perfect. They were forgiven. They were free from the bondage of sin and death, but they had not yet received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This right here, this event right here was the act of salvation when they received the Spirit inside of them. And it's, it's actually really a beautiful picture because do you guys remember how Adam got life? God breathed life into Adam. And then Adam ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and essentially died at that moment. He died a spiritual death at that moment. He introduced death into the world. And God had to once again breathe life into us. So Jesus breathes on the disciples and says, receive the Holy Spirit. And they were once again restored to the same position that they had had in Adam. Because Adam was what? A grown man with no past, with no baggage, with no history, no failures. And at the moment you receive salvation, when the Holy Spirit enters inside of you, you are restored to the position of Adam. And you receive the Holy Spirit, just like God breathed into Adam, Jesus breathes the Holy Spirit into us, and we are made brand new. But then in Acts 1, 3-5, it says, He presented to them alive after his suffering by many proofs. Once again, we're in the timeline. After Jesus has been crucified, but he's presenting himself to the disciples, it says, appearing to them for 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So now we're beginning to see the difference between the Holy Spirit in you for salvation, but being baptized or being whelmed is what the, the word baptized means, is whelmed. And what it comes from is when they would, they would dip clothing into dye. They would submit, uh, uh, submerse the, the, the cloth into dye to be dyed. And that was called baptism, being whelmed in the water. That's what happened when the Holy Spirit comes upon you is you are completely whelmed in Him. But we can see that it's different because if when Jesus breathed on them, which was before this, When Jesus breathed on them, and actually I don't know if he said this before he breathed on them or not, but we know that what he's talking about is the day of Pentecost, which obviously came after he said, and when he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit, because the day of Pentecost came after he ascended. So this happens after this. Why would Jesus say you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit if receiving the Holy Spirit of salvation was being baptized in the Holy Spirit? If it wasn't a separate event, why would this happen? I don't know, I'm a logic guy. I'm a, you guys know I'm, a, I'm an IT guy, an engineering guy. I start putting stuff together, and, and I look at this, and Jesus isn't an idiot. He's not confused about the plan of God. He breathed on them. They received the Holy Spirit. They were saved. But then he says that later you're going to receive power. You're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit many days from now. It's because it is a separate event. The promise of the Father that you heard from me, what he's talking about here. He says, the promise from which you heard from me, you can read about that in Luke 24, 49. He says, and behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. That's the promise, and that's what's coming, the Holy Spirit coming upon them. 
And then in Acts 2, 1 through 4, it says, And when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together on one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is what he was talking about. This is obviously after Jesus breathed on him because Jesus had already ascended to heaven. And the Holy Spirit, this is when power came on from high. This is when the Holy Spirit came upon them and it says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. This is why I say Jesus refers to it as being baptized. Other places you refer to it as being filled with the Holy Spirit. I use them interchangeably. But it says that that these people, they were already saved. These disciples were following Jesus. They had received the Holy Spirit for salvation, and they showed up on the day of Pentecost, which, if you guys didn't know, this day that this happened is also the same day that the law was given to the Jewish people. But they were already saved, and they received the Holy Spirit. It says, tongues of fire rested upon them, and they were filled. And the interesting thing that you'll see is that this isn't the only time that they, the word that they were filled with the Holy Spirit comes along. Matter of fact, many times in the scripture, it says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting because it's the same people that were filled before. Apparently, we leak. Apparently, we run out. We have to continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. We have to continue to let the Holy Spirit move through us. And in this case, this must have been an amazing morning because they began to speak in in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They begin to speak another language, but the interesting thing that we see here is it says that if you read, uh, I continue reading, it says, it doesn't say they were actually speaking in other languages. They were speaking in other tongues, but they weren't speaking in other known languages. The scripture says they were being heard in other languages. I don't know what they were sounding like when they were speaking. I don't know if it sounded like when we pray in tongues today, but in this particular case, they were speaking in other tongues And different nationalities were hearing them in their own language. Can you imagine if I was up here speaking and you heard it in English and somebody else heard it in Spanish and somebody else heard it in Portuguese and somebody else heard it in Chinese? Can you imagine? That must have been an amazing day. Because I I can imagine they were sitting there and they're like, he's speaking in Aramaic. And he's like, no, no, he's he's speaking in, in Greek. And they're like, no, I obviously hear him. Can you imagine what that would have been like? It's funny to me that we try to limit what God can do because God does incredible things all throughout the Scriptures. And we're concerned with whether we can still speak in tongues today. And He does absolutely amazing things. We're very good at trying to put God in a box and limit what He can do. Thirteen different languages they were heard that morning in. It says, but though the They were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Something that's important to notice about here, it says, they began to speak, but the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. One of the things that we're going to see is, particularly as we look into the gift of tongues, is that you have to open your mouth. It's I I remember when I was younger, I used to envision you guys ever seen the Avatar? With kids, the, the little cartoon, the Avatar. You know when like the spirit of the Avatar comes upon him and is like he gets all glowy, his eyes start glowing, and like he kind of gets taken over by the spirit. That's how I imagined operating in the gifts of spirit was. It's like 
you were some sort of holy marionette. Like, you know, when, when you were going to speak and the, or operate in the gifts, like your eyes were going to roll back in your head, you were gonna, they were going to glow. You're going to start speaking in a deep voice like this. Because God's speaking through. I don't know. I, just, I really thought that, that the Holy Spirit just took over your body. But as you, it's funny, the idea is that we get in our heads when you don't actually read the Bible. You just hear bits and pieces of it. I'd encourage you to read your Bible because you, you'll understand stuff a whole lot better. But really what it says is that, and we're going to see later, the, the, the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. And what that means is, is that, that if God gives a, a prophet a prophecy or a prophetic word, they don't have to blurt it out right then and there. They're not out of control. They can pick the opportune time to share it, just like speaking in tongues. God doesn't take over your body. You have to make a choice to speak. And then the Spirit will give you utterance. In Acts 2, 16 through 21, uh, Peter begins to rebut what they were saying about him because as you imagine, how many of you guys you guys heard me say that speaking in tongues is weird? It's weird to people who believe in it. I, I'll be honest with you. It is kind of an odd thing. I don't know why God chose to do things in this manner because it does seem weird to us today, but he did, and I'm going to continue trusting God. But these people weren't saved. They didn't believe that God would do these things, and they thought they were really weird. And what did they begin to say? They must all be drunk. So this is uh, Peter's rebuttal in Acts 2, 16-21. He says, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And even one of my male, and on my male servants and female servants in these days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. I love this one because one of my favorite jokes is here. Young men see visions, and the old men dream dreams. The old men dream dreams because they're always sleeping. <laughs> But the reality is, is that God is going to pour out His Spirit upon His people. But this is Peter's rebuttal. He's saying that you guys are all saying I'm drunk. And he's like, we're not drunk. It's only 9 a.m. That's his actual rebuttal. We're not drunk. It's only 9 a.m. When are you usually drunk by, Peter? That's not what he meant, though. That's just the things I think about. But... <laughs> But he says, it's only 9 a.m. We're not drunk. This is God moving through us. And what he's talking about is what Joel prophesied. Joel prophesied that God would pour out a spirit on all men. And Peter said, this is what he was talking about. And the Bible is amazing because Joel was written between 1900 B.C. and 400 B.C. That's a pretty wide window, but that was still really long ago, well before this actually happened. At least 400 years, if not almost 2,000 years before this event actually happened, Joel prophesied and said that this would happen. God would pour out his spirit. And by his power, many things would take prophecy, visions, dreams, and signs. They would happen. He said, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Did you know this is for everybody? It's not just for a select few. Salvation and God's power being manifest through us is for all of his people. And the purpose of these gifts is to be empowered to reach the lost and to edify the body. So that they'll all call in the name of the Lord the same as us. The purpose of these gifts is not to make us look good, but to make God look good, to, have, to be effective at reaching the lost. In Luke 11, 
sorry, this is the rest of that verse through 21. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Luke 11, 11 through 13 says, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of him? First off, you need to know that the, the Holy Spirit is a gift of the Holy Spirit that, that God will give to us if really we only ask him for it. Like I said, you have to ask, you have to receive this gift of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You can stand up and be stubborn and resist God moving in your life. I know because I did it for a very, very long time. Because I didn't want to be weird. What makes a good father? We think about it, good fathers are loving, they're reliable, they're honest. They provide, they discipline. They provide everything that we need. A good father takes care of his children. What would make a bad father? Doing, yeah, doing the opposite. Someone who harms their children, who takes advantage of their children, who uses their children for leverage, who neglects them or doesn't take care of them, that doesn't teach them, that doesn't discipline them. That's something that parents today need to get. If you don't discipline your children, you're not doing them a favor. You're not being the cool parent. You're actually harming your kids. Being a good parent, part of that is disciplining your children. But the scripture says that if we know what it's like to be a good father, how much more so would God? So he says, what father among you, if your son asked for a fish, would instead of giving him a fish, would give him a serpent? Or if they asked you for an egg, would you give him a scorpion? He says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more would the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of him? One thing we have to remember is that Paul said that we are to seek the greater gifts, right? We need to be asking God to move for us. Put, get rid of those walls that stand in the way and say, God, use me however you want to use me. Work through me. Holy Spirit, I want to receive you. Father, let me have the gift of the Holy. Begin to ask him. And the scripture says that if you ask him, he's not going to give you something else. If you ask for the, the Holy Spirit upon you, he's not going to give you a broken leg. He's not going to give you a demon or something weird inside of you. Because he is a good father. We ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And God is faithful. And Paul said, desire the greater gifts. Desire to operate in these gifts because these gifts are going to give you the power that you need to make an impact in this world for the kingdom of heaven. So the question is, is it, is it for me? Are the gifts of the Holy Spirit, are they for me? Can, can God actually use me? And in Acts 2, 38 through 39, it says, And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you, for your children, for all who are far off, and everyone to whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So is it for you? I kind of think so. It says it's for, the promise is for you, and for your children, and for all who are far off. The reality is, is this gift of the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit, is for every single person that is saved, for all from whom the Lord calls to himself. Every person that is saved has the opportunity to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
And you're wondering, if you're wondering, well, am I one of the ones who is called? Am I the one of the ones that God wants to be saved? This is what, what uh, in 2 Peter 3.9 it says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And John 12.32 says, When I am lifted up from the earth, Jesus talking about him being uh, lifted up on the cross, he says, I'll draw all people to myself. The reality is, is that salvation is for every single person on this earth. There's not a subset of people. God does not have a special list for people that are going to be saved and people that are not going to be saved. The reality is for everyone. We're all called to him. And the scripture says that this promise is for you. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. One of the things we have to get out of our head is this idea that somehow we have to measure up before God can use us. God used all kinds of people that did terrible things in the Bible over and over. Adulterers, murderers, cowards, people that none of us would think would measure up God used. And the difference is because they said yes. They didn't stand in the way. They didn't tell God how they could or could not be used. They listened to what God said about them instead of what they said about themselves. And that's something that we have to start doing. Stop thinking about ourselves and our own mind's eye, but instead begin to look at what God says about you. If we begin to think that we're not strong, remember that in, in Christ we are strong, and that we can do all things through Him who strengthens us. If we think that we're afraid, remember that God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. The reality is, is that God says something about you completely different than what you'll say about yourself. But if you can't get on the same page, if you want to keep saying something else, you're actually limiting what God can do through you. Instead, begin to ask God, use me. Give me this gift of the Holy Spirit. I want to be effective for you. Acts 11, 15 through 17. See, the thing that we can say is, are you sure, Pastor Wayne, it's for everybody? I know that's what that scripture just said, but are you sure it wasn't just for the apostles? Because actually, if you know anything about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, there are Christians who don't believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for today. Um, that's true. That's just there, there are some that don't believe that. So they'll ask, no, no, the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit were only for the apostles to build the church, even though they read scriptures like this one, and it says that it's for all who are far off and your children, so not just the apostles. But this is Acts eleven fifteen through 17. I hope we can help answer that question again. It says, as they began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? So Peter right now is actually speaking to the apostles and the brethren in Jerusalem, and he's giving his defense for why he was being associated with the house of Cornelius, who was a Roman soldier and a Gentile. And you remember Peter had a vision that uh, came down from heaven with all kinds of unclean animals on it, and God said, get up, Peter, hunt, kill, and eat. And Peter said, I've never associated with anything unclean. I'm not going to start God now. I'll start now, God, because that's what we like to do is tell God how we're going to do things, even though he's showing something else. So then it happened two more times, and a sheet came down, and God said, get up, Peter, kill, and eat. And he says, no, God, I would never do such a thing. But the reason that vision was there is to show that Peter could actually associate with what everyone else had considered unclean. He began to associate with the, the household of Cornelius. Actually, Peter finally said, okay, God, I'm going to listen to you. Too many of us keep arguing with God, but 
praise God, Peter said, okay, God, I'm going to listen. I'm going to head out there. And, and uh, one of Cornelius' servants is knock on the door, and he finds out that he's a, a Gentile, and he, he ends up going over to Cornelius' house. And this is what he said. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remember the word of the Lord. I always said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is I that could stand in God's way? The reality is, is that the gift of the Holy Spirit isn't just for some super saints or apostles. It's for each and every one of us. These guys weren't even, weren't even Jews. They were Gentiles. They were unclean. Nobody wanted anything to do with them. They all believed that God didn't want anything to do with the Gentiles, but the Holy Spirit fell upon them. And something that I want you to think about as we move forward is, is how did Peter know that the Holy Spirit fell on them? Something to think about. In Acts 19.6, it says that when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came to them and they began speaking and, and prophesying. What I want you to know that the Holy Spirit came on them, upon them. This is baptism in the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit coming on you rather than in you when you're saved. And it says that they laid hands on them. If anybody ever has wondered what the laying of hands does, is one, it's when a leader lays hands on it's coming into agreement with what's going on, but it's also a, a, a point to release faith. That's why you'll often see when, when, when people are being prayed for and a, and, a, and a minister will lay hands on them and they'll fall backwards. Or, and you're, why did it happen when the, when the guy touched him? It's because there was just a release of faith at that moment, a trusting in God, and God touches the person. But it says that he laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and then they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. When the Holy Spirit is received, that's when the gifts are able to be manifested. And then it goes on in Acts 8, or I guess before, in Acts 8, 14 through 17, it says, Now when the apostles of Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For they had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has to be received, church. It's not something that's going to happen automagically. Like I said before, God doesn't take control of your body. It's something that you make a choice to receive, to stop standing in the way of God and instead ask Him to give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this is Philip that's down here preaching in Samaria. And many had believed and had been baptized, but when Peter and John got there, they had not even heard of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So they were saved, they just hadn't been filled with the Spirit. So they laid hands on them and they were filled with the Spirit. And actually the next verse says that Simon saw that the laying of hands resulted in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Simon was a sorcerer down there who ends up getting himself in a bit of trouble. You can read on a little bit later, but it says that Simon saw the laying of hands resulted in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Think about that again. Why? What did Simon see? How did he know that they had received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? In Acts 10, 44 through 47, it says, While Peter was still saying these things, and the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed, because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. How do they know they've been poured out on the Gentiles? It says, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? 
this is another interesting thing to me is that many people have claimed that you have to be baptized to be saved. Now, just so you don't hear me, being a disciple and being obedient to God, you do get baptized. We are called to be baptized. It's an outward demonstration of what has happened inside of us. But it, it is not a part of salvation. We're, sa- we're saved as soon as we believe, as soon as the Holy Spirit comes inside of us. And we know here that, that they must have been saved because they received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then he said, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people? They obviously weren't baptized yet, but they were saved. Interesting side note, if you want to take a note about that. But he says, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? First off, I want you to know that there is evidence for being baptized in the Holy Spirit. While Peter was speaking to the, to the Gentiles, Cornelius and his household believed the Holy Spirit fell upon them. How did he know that that happened? How did he know that they were baptized in the Holy Spirit? They spoke in tongues. It doesn't say for that particular household that that's what happened. It just says that he saw. So there was some sort of evidence for them to be able to notice that it happened. We also found out that Simon, the sorcerer, he saw that when they laid hands, they were baptized with the Spirit. He saw that they were filled with the Spirit. How did he see that? The truth is, in nearly all cases in the book of Acts, when, when believers were baptized in the Holy Spirit, they speak, begin speaking in other tongues. Like I said, in the case with Peter of Samaria, Simon saw something. In the case with Cornelius, Peter saw something. They had proof that they had been filled with other tongues. Acts 2.4 says they were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues. The Spirit gave them utterance. Acts 19.6 says when the people had laid this, when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit come, came upon them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. This is why we often refer to the gift of tongues, speaking in tongues, praying in tongues, as the starter gift. Now notice there is a difference between what happened on the day of Pentecost because they were speaking and being heard in other languages. That was a ministry tool. That was God using that to make an impact on unbelievers. But there's the what we refer to as the starter gift, speaking in tongues. It's just, it's just praying in tongues. It's speaking to God in tongues. It's not something you understand. It's something that God understands. But every time in the, in the, the book of Acts, when they were filled with the Spirit, they were either, uh, they either mentioned specifically that they were speaking in tongues or it says that they saw, it shows that there was some sort of evidence. And that's the, the evidence of when you get filled with the Holy Spirit. When you, begin, when you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, you're able to speak in other tongues. And like I said, it does take a little bit of courage. It does take for you to actually start moving your mouth, beginning to speak. The Spirit will give you utterance, but God is not going to take control over your body and make you do it. You must speak, and you must have your words be directed by the Holy Spirit, and it takes faith. Everything that we do as a Christian requires faith. Believing that God is who He says He is, it'll do what He says He's going to do. The Scripture says if you ask, He's not going to give you a scorpion, He's not going to give you a serpent, but He'll give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. And praying in tongues, like I said, is speaking directly to God. And you can read all about the gift of tongues and the different types in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. But in 1 Corinthians 14 too, it says, For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in his spirit. And 1 Corinthians 14, 14 says, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. The reality is, is that when we 
step out in faith and begin to speak and pray in tongues, that God understands us. You're not going to understand yourself because your mind is unfruitful, but your spirit is praying to God. And I believe that we're going to get to heaven one day and find out that when we were praying in tongues, that we covered stuff in prayer that we didn't even know we needed to cover in prayer. And this is a gift that's available to all believers, not just a special group or a special subset. Don't let your feelings of what the world might think of you miss out on an incredible gift of God. Don't let what the people around you might say. And I get it. I remember the first time that I began praying in tongues. It was, it was very, you know, the, the, I've heard it referred to as the, 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 the babbling lips. You know, people, blah, 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 blah. They'll start talking because they're just trying to step out in faith. And I remember when I did it and I began to, to just trust God. And I, I remember that as I began to exercise that gift, there were times when I was just making noise because I wasn't doing it in faith. It's something that we always have to do in faith. But I remember I began to step out and trust God, and I pray in tongues all the time now. When I don't know what to pray anymore, I pray in tongues because God knows what to pray. The Holy Spirit, the, the, the Scripture says that we don't know what to pray, so the Holy Spirit intercedes with us for mumblings too deep for words. And we begin to pray how God wants to. But this is such an incredible gift that God has given us. So let's not let our shame, let's not let what the world thinks limit us, and how God can work through us. Amen? And then we're going to go ahead and end here today because this is the big question. Many people argue that no, the gifts were just for the apostles. I think we've shown pretty, uh, with, with evidence that it wasn't just for the apostles because many others were filled with the Holy Spirit. But then they'll also say, well, no, no, it was just for the early church. The church has been established, so we don't need it anymore today. Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, the end of the earth. How many know that that's still what we're supposed to do? Be witnesses in Jerusalem, which is your home city. That would be Marana. And all Judea, which is your, your region. That would be like on all of Arizona and Samaria. Arizona, the United States, and then to the end of the earth. That's everywhere else. Just in case you didn't know. You're to be a witness to the entire world to the love of Christ, to Jesus Christ. So I'm often confused when people say that it's not needed for today because this is still our purpose, and we still need power to do so. You receive power when the Holy Spirit came upon you so that you can be my witnesses. If we're still to be witnesses, then we still need that power that God has given us. To say that it's not needed today, it's just bonkers to me. Because Christianity without the Holy Spirit is just a shell of its true identity. You can't be in you. You are saved without the gift of the Holy Spirit. But why would you limit God's ability to work in your life? Why would we stand up and, and resist God wanting to do something greater? Because the, the gifts of the Spirit are to edify the church. They're to be witnesses to the world. And it's to, to give us power to be able to, to be empowered to do these things. And some can say, no, the church is already established. We don't need that power. And I think that's interesting because in the United States, the church might be established, but there are places in the Middle East where it's illegal to be a Christian. They'll kill you for it. It doesn't sound too empowered there. And we need God's power to make a difference over there. In China, there's only like one church a lot of there. Churches like ours that are evangelical, that, are, that, that, are, that believe in the gifts of the Spirit, they're not allowed. 
their, their, their underground churches to be able to worship and to live like we do. They need the power of the Holy Spirit. And just, if you guys follow me on Facebook, I, I link to an article on it, but in, in California right now, they're, they're in the process of putting a bill to the assembly that will essentially make the Bible illegal in California. Basically, the, what the law says is that if you uh, have any writings or teaching or, or you say in any way something that is contrary to it being okay to be homosexual or lesbian or transgender, if you, if you do anything that's, that, that's contrary to those beliefs, then it is illegal. The way that this is worded is that they could potentially ban the Bible in California if this goes all the way through. I don't know about you guys, but our liberty, our religion is under attack in the United States, and we're going to need God's power more than ever before to stand up and make a stand and reach people. And the truth is, the only way that we're going to get these laws changed, the only way that we're going to make a difference is, is truthfully, not by pushing opposite laws to the books, it's by getting people saved. Because if everybody that, that had the power to, to write and enact and enable laws were saved, we would never see laws like that ever even come up on the books. But we need his power, amen? Hallelujah.